Well, good morning. I don't know about you, but when I hear that song played and sung, and I don't know where you are, you know, everybody comes to church on Sunday morning. Our minds are all over the place. I, I try to focus myself when I get to church. I say, Lord, take all these distractions away. Help me sing and, you know, imagine that I'm really in your presence because that's really where I am. And you begin singing a song like that, that you can almost feel the Spirit of God just kind of fill you and just lift you. I don't know. I hope you experience that. But thank you so much, Zach and team. And while Sean's getting me dialed in here and the roaring and the roaming, can y'all hear me good? Okay, good. My mic's working, and that's a blessing. Just a couple of things to share with you. After the service this morning, we have a 101 membership class. We have a few people signed up for that. If you forgot to sign up, please let us know. My wife has made some wonderful lunch for you, so I hope you enjoy that. And I want to remind you also that at 5 p.m. tonight, we're doing a study of Introduction to the Bible. So if you've ever wondered what it means, Genesis through Revelation, this is a class that I teach on a master's level, and I've kind of scaled that down a little bit, and we're giving that to you. So I hope that's beneficial if you want to know your Bible, that you'll come out and take advantage of that. Well, this morning I'm going to do, uh, when I went back to Wes and had him input my slides, he went, you're preaching that much? <laughs> and I reminded him that the Apostle Paul wrote 16 chapters that had to be read to the whole church. Now, could you imagine that? And this is what Paul told his young protege, so I'm just being obedient to Scripture. He said, until I come, uh, do not or devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. So that is our, our job, our calling, what we're to do. And I'm going to do that this morning as we work our way through the book of Romans. I won't take five years, hopefully six, seven messages, and uh, we'll get through the large chunks of this book. But this morning is a very difficult section. As a matter of fact, one English preacher said this should not be read in public. It should only be read at private and in home. Unfortunately, we live in a culture where when you turn on the TV, you see it. But Paul's going to explain why you and I and why people need the gospel. Why we need this righteousness that comes from God because humanity in itself is given to unrighteousness. And so until we see that need, then we will not respond. Do you all remember the painter? His name was Bob Ross. I think he passed away at 52. He used to come on PBS all the time. And when I was a kid, I used to sit there and just, I was enamored by his fuzzy hair. You know, he had this big bushy hair. But one time, I remember as a kid, he began to paint. And he pulled out this very dark canvas. It was just a black canvas, and he starts slinging paint on there and talking to himself and the TV. And he said, you know, to make this painting beautiful, you have to start with this dark background. And that's basically what Paul is doing. Remember, he's never been to Rome. He's never been to this church. It was not founded by him or another apostle. And so Paul is writing a letter to them, maybe, and perhaps, in case he doesn't make it to Rome... He has his gospel laid out for this church, and this letter would be read to them as a whole. So we're going to lay out the, the, the backdrop, which is the bad news, because you have to have bad news before you have good news. So hang on there. You know, when, when Paul talks about being delivered, he's not talking about being delivered from a cream pie. We're not saved from something wonderful. We're saved from something awful. And Paul's going to lay that out this morning. And by the time he finishes, he's going to be able to say that all have sinned and have fallen short of God's glory. But that righteousness that we sang about this morning is available to all as a free gift. So hang in there with me, will you? So wrath or righteousness, that's the title of the message today. I was talking recently with a person and they began to express to me that they did not understand what sin was. And then the statement was made, well, how do you know? Who, who makes the definition of what is sin? And the answer is, God makes that definition. And because we are made in the image of God, 
We therefore reflect that, and even in our conscience, we have a certain amount of right and wrong. And Paul's going to shift back and forth as he uses this phrase law. We'll talk about that a little bit on what he means by that. But imagine you go into a doctor and the doctor sees a spot on you and says, now I know that this spot you have on you is melanoma. We all know what that is. It's basically a cancerous mole or spot that comes up on your skin that if it's not removed or treated will spread throughout your body and you will eventually succumb to the terrible, terrible disease that this cancerous tumor will bring. But imagine that he tells you that on your body is a, is a spot that is melanoma and you sit there and say, well, who defines melanoma? And how do you know that it's melanoma? I feel fine right now. And he says, you don't understand. You may feel fine now, but it's going to catch you. And you say, well, I don't believe that. I don't know how to do it. I need to talk to some different people. And on and on you go. And you begin arguing with this doctor. And then you finally stand up and say, well, you know what? I don't believe you and I don't need you. Now, by the way, people do that. And they, they just walk away from this person who's trying to help them and they go away and they do their own thing, but eventually, as is true, the melanoma catches up. And by the way, that is about the best illustration I can give to humanity. We all have a problem and we all have a need and God has given the diagnosis for our need, but we must be able to see our need and respond to his gift before we can have help. So Paul here is going to say in verse 16, if you remember, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And he goes on and said, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now notice the very next phrase, and I'm going to pull this up on the screen. Thank you, Wes, for putting it in there for me. Paul writes this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Now, where does this wrath come from? And remember, Paul here is giving a diagnosis of humanity that has no law. Okay, what about the heathen that are over in other parts of the world who never heard or so forth? Paul is going to lay the case out here about humanity and their guilt before God. So the righteousness of God is revealed, but also the wrath of God. So why the righteousness in verse 16? Here's why. Because there's wrath revealed in 18. Now notice what he says. It is revealed from heaven, and it is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness, notice what they do, they suppress the truth. In other words, they hold it down. They push it down. The doctor says, this is the problem. The person says, I don't believe that. I don't want to hear that. And Paul said, this is what humanity does. God has revealed his wrath. And the reason he has is because they have suppressed truth. Because every person can respond to truth. Notice what he says. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Okay, what can be known about God? Here Paul is going to explain. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Paul says that Anybody can look out into creation that God has made and say to themselves, someone bigger than me made this. Okay? How can, you, how can you not say that? Someone and something made this creation that you and I see. Look up into the stars. Get up on a mountain. Go to McAfee Knob. Look out in the... I mean, someone made this. And Paul says that it is evident to anyone who wants to stop and say, how did this get here? You know there has to be a creator. 
Now, you can, you can stop and rationalize and say, well, I don't believe that because I believe the Big Bang. Well, let's ask the question, where did the bang come from? Where did matter come from? You see, something has to be eternal. It's either matter or it's God. Evolutionary people would say what? That matter is eternal. It's always been eternal and it just rubbed together the right way and boom, there it came. The creationists would say that there's a God who created the matter, gave it order and design and spoke it out, and now you have the creation. And they would argue that from design, from intelligence and so forth, there's all kinds of arguments we could get into here. If you want to look these up, the cosmological argument, the teleological argument, order, design, you know, that's like saying that you could take a bunch of parts in your hand and throw them up in the air and they'd turn into a watch. Well, where did the parts come from and how did the order get there? And on Sunday night, do you all remember, we talked about even in our solar system. Remember the merry-go-round on Sunday night we talked about? If creation explodes like this, why do two planets spin backward? I mean, there are some serious issues that people have to answer. But Paul says here that all you have to do is look out in creation and you know that someone big, powerful, and unbelievable made this creation that we see. So Paul goes on to write, so they are without excuse. So when we wonder about, you know, what about all these people? Paul said, they have revelation, general revelation. If they respond to that revelation, what does God do? He sends them more. I can tell you stories about missionaries being routed and wrecked from people searching, but you can look into all that. Paul writes, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. So instead of worshiping the Creator, what did they do? They made their own images and they began to worship them. Therefore, what did God do? He gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up the natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, Foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. I counted 23. 23 that Paul just starts pulling out and boom. I mean, just he's just shooting at mankind that did not have God's revelation. This would be the Gentile. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Now, by the way, folks, when you read through this litany of lists, I could go through every word. I could talk about our culture. I could get into all kinds of issues here. But what you basically see is that our nation, I'm just applying this broadly, anytime you move in this direction where you're basically stiff-arming God, saying, I don't care what that old book says, we're going to do it our way. Here's what God says. That's what you want? Okay, I'll give you over to that. I'll let you enjoy that, and then I'll let others approve of that. And as a result, 
That is my wrath revealed. Listen to God. The wrath of God has been revealed against he from heaven against all ungodliness. And when they start enjoying that and they suppress truth, what does God do? He gives them over to a debased mind to enjoy the passion and ultimately to receive the wrath. And that's the bad news. Now, there's some people who are sitting back watching that. And Paul, by the way, has them in his mind. And they're saying, yeah, I see those pagan people doing that. Well, thank goodness I don't do it. Those hypocrites. So now Paul is going to write to the next group of people who are standing in Rome. And by the way, if you want to know a little bit of backdrop about this, you need to read on the life of Nero. Nero was ultimately the emperor who put Paul to death. Nero was not a nice man. And he was also a very immoral man. And I will not tell you what I read about him. But if you want to read about depravity, read about the life of Nero. He was some kind of piece of work. But now you have the moral person who sits back and looks at all of these pagan atrocities and says, well, thank goodness I'm not like that. And now Paul is going to address them because he assumes they're in his congregation. You have this moral man and you also have the Jew who is sitting there. Remember, I am a debtor to both Jew and Greek, sophisticated and uneducated, Paul said. So now he begins talking to the moral person. And he writes this in chapter 2. He says, Therefore, you have no excuse, old man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, you, the judge, practice the very same things. Now remember that list of greediness and covetousness and all these things. How many times have you ever heard somebody say, don't you do this, and you turn around and see them do the same thing? Um, I could tell you a story about a business who stood out and they told people, uh, we don't allow this to happen in our business and if we catch anybody doing this in our business, we'll escort you off our property. And with my own eyes, I saw them do exactly what they threatened their audience with. They did it. And I was sitting there thinking, you know, when you pass judgment on others and you, you do it yourself, I mean, you're talking about being in, in trouble? And this is who Paul's writing to here. That's like telling people, don't you steal and you're a thief. Or don't you do this and you're sitting there doing it yourself. And Paul says, who are you, old man? Every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. So do you suppose, old man, listen, he's generically writing, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? You know, I, I think about the judge on the bench who condemns the man for driving under the influence and yet he goes out to the bar and drives under the influence. I mean, this is who Paul's writing to, the moral man, fine, upstanding person who somehow thinks that they're above the law. And he says, do you think that you're going to get by with that? I mean, we all know people in positions of power and so forth that break the very law that they enforce. And Paul says, you know, yeah, the heathen are going to get it, but you are too. And then he asked this question, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? I mean, how can a person continue to live like that and get by with it and God still be gracious to them? And Paul is explaining to them that is an act of God's grace toward them because what should his kindness do? Should it cause them to say, well, nothing's happened to me so far, so I guess I'll just keep on doing it? Paul says, no. God's kindness and forbearance in your life like that should drive you to repentance. He goes on to write, but because of your hard and impenitent heart. What is an impenitent heart? You ever talk to somebody like that? An impenitent heart is one that is 
kind of in, it, it can't be penetrated. It's, it's unrepentant. It's always right. And whatever they do, they can justify that. They can talk their way out of that. They can rationalize and reason their way for what they do. And Paul says, because of your heart and unrepentant, unchangeable heart, this is what you're doing. You're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And by the way, Christian, mark it down. Mark it down. No one is getting away with evil. You know, this incident that happened in Israel, why did Hamas attack Israel? It is because of their religion. What is their religion saying? Their religion is saying that they are to kill the infidels. Who is the greatest infidel? Israel. So what are they doing? They're passing judgment. Their God says that Israel is to be annihilated, and they are doing that as an act of worship, by the way. Don't be fooled by all this ridiculousness about race and all this oppression and ridiculousness. It is about what their God is commanding them to do. And Paul here is saying, even in the midst of this, they're not getting by with one thing. They may justify that in their mind, but in reality, they are just storing up wrath for the day of wrath. And by the way, we do know that. Did you know? When is the day of wrath going to be unveiled upon these people? It's called the great white throne judgment. You can read about it in the book of Revelation. Paul talks about it. People will be judged according to their works, according to their deeds. Those who have done very bad will be judged more severely. Those who haven't done as bad will be judged less. Those who have had much light will be judged much greater. Those who have had little light will be judged with not as much severity but they will all succumb to God's judgment. So no one's getting by with anything. Paul goes on to write, He will render to each one according to his works to those who who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. Now what does that mean? Is that talking to the pagan? There are some commentators on Romans here who say that what Paul is saying is some people are justifying in their mind that they're going to be able to do good works And they'll be able to get there. He says in the next sentence, Paul is going to dash this and say, no, that's not possible. There are no law keepers. You can't be good enough. There are others who say that Paul is writing this, talking about rewards. uh, That the people who do good will receive rewards. This is a big debate. But just let me read this in context about the moral man who's trying to justify himself. And Paul is saying, I've got news for you. You think you're justifying yourself? but your, your heart is unrepentant because you keep on living like this and you can't keep the law. Notice what he says. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there is going to be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Remember what he said about the gospel? It is God's righteousness to the Jew first and to the Greek What does he say here about God's wrath? It is to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But notice what he says, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Now I will come back and catch this in another sermon. I'm not skipping this. I'll deal with it. But just let me get the big picture here. Paul summarizes. He says, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. Now, the Gentiles in chapter 1 did not receive the Ten Commandments. Have no other God before me. Don't take my name in vain. Honor Honor father and mother. Don't steal. Paul said those people who did not have the Ten Commandments, guess what? They won't be judged by the strictness of the Ten Commandments. He says, but those who got the commandments, guess what's going to happen? It's going to be more severe. All who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Now the Jewish reader who's sitting there reading that is going, oh, okay, well, hold on for a minute. Paul says, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, 
but the doers of the law who will be justified. Now, Jews thought that if they perfectly kept the Ten Commandments, what would happen? That they would earn God's favor, that they, they had no need of righteousness. And Paul's going to explain here that there's a big problem with that. And the problem is nobody could ever keep the law, Jew or Gentile. Nobody. And he'll lay this out in a minute. Paul says to the Jew now, catch this, to the Jew, he says, Jew, Jew who is, has the Ten Commandments and you still break them, when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, honor father and mother, don't covet, don't steal another man's wife. He said, when the Gentiles do that and they didn't even have the law, they are a law to themselves even though they don't have the law. They show that the work of the law is actually what? Written on their hearts. While their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on the day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Now he's going to get right to the point. But you, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on, I'm going to read here, the Ten Commandments and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent because you're instructed from the law and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? And this is piercing. Now, catch the audience. He's writing here to these people in Rome. You've got some Jewish people there. You've got some pagans there. And Paul here is covering the whole gamut. He's telling that religious person who has the law and thinks that they're okay, let me put it in practical terms, because they go to church, because they pray, and because they read their devotional every now and then, and, and perhaps uh, give a check every blue moon. They, they think that that's going to cover them. Paul is saying here, I've got news for you. That is not going to help you one bit. That's not going to help you. Why? Because, he goes on to write, while you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? I mean, are you, are you not given what you should? See how he's applying the Ten Commandments here? You who boast in the law, talking to the Jew, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Let me help you. Paul's painting a picture to the Jew who thinks because they're a Jew, they're right with God. And he's basically saying, the heathen are not right with God who didn't have the law. The moral man, he's not right with God. And you Jews, just because you are an Israelite and born as a Jew and circumcised as a baby on the eighth day and have Moses' Ten Commandments, that doesn't make you righteous. As a matter of fact, Paul is saying, you're going to receive more because you had more light. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And remember who he's talking to here, the Jews trusting the law. He says, then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, but break it. Now, this is called a gut punch because those who are trusting in religion uh, just got, oh, got socked. Because Paul's basically telling them, the person who didn't have your privileges but actually lives more righteously and morally than you will stand to condemn you. Doesn't matter if you're a Jew or what you are. I mean, he is just blasting here, okay? And we could take a lot of time and work through this, but I, I want you to get the big picture. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly nor is circumcision outward and physical. 
Paul here is making a distinction like he does somewhere else that just because people were Jews doesn't mean, can I use this term, that they were regenerated. You see, a lot of Jews believe that just because they were a Jew, that they were right. They were saved. They were God's people. And Paul here is going to tell them, let me tell you something, and he's very clear later on, not every Jew is redeemed. Just because you're circumcised doesn't mean that your heart's right with God. Just because you're physically born as as this race doesn't mean that you have eternal life. So he's busting up this glass facade of religion and and self-made righteousness. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, Paul writes, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So we'll come back to this when I get over in chapters 9, 10, and 11. But the bottom line here is Paul takes a baseball bat to this nice, beautiful painting that man has made for himself about how wonderful and good he is and all the privileges he's done and all the blessings that he's made and God has to be good to him because God justifies him because of what he has. Smash! I mean, it's in pieces. So he's dashed here the unrighteous heathen. He's dashed the moral man who passes judgment on others. And now he's, he's bashed this religious... Jew. Now, in case Paul missed anybody, uh, he's going to come back and he's going to do the whole canvas and he's going to get everybody, okay? This is a fascinating section, by the way. Chapter 3 is going to get all of humanity, especially when we get down to chapter, and everybody remember this in a wander, right? For all have sinned and come short of God's glory. All. But let's paint the picture of all humanity. Now, he's going to talk here about, you know, he's, he's already smashed the Jew who received the Ten Commandments. They were born in the right race. They were circumcised. They had everything going for them. He, he smashed them. So that Jew is sitting there going, well, if that's the case, and I'm as lost as the heathen, and I'm actually going to receive more judgment, then what good does it do for me to even be born in this race and, and have this circumcision and have this Ten Commandments? Paul says, then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision for an Israelite? Paul says much in every way. I mean, it's about like being born in a Christian home. You know, sometimes kids that grow up in a Christian home go, this is the most boring. I hate being drugged to church every Sunday. I hate having to go. And mom and dad always pray, and I don't get to do anything that's fun because everybody always makes me do What? I wish I'd have been like the other kids. No, you don't. No, you don't. Trust me. I grew up in a place way down in the southernmost place in West Virginia. I saw depravity. I saw Romans 1 as a kid. Thank God for your parents who took you to church and who prayed with you and loved on you. And you may not have liked it because your flesh wanted to go one way and your parents were trying to direct you in the other, but trust me, you will be thankful one day when you grow up and you get to the place where you look back on your life and say, thank you, God, for sparing me for what I could have gotten into. Thank you for telling me what right was and what wrong was, and that wrong was fun, but boy, it had consequences. And thank you, Mom and Dad, for warning me that when I did something that was wrong, I would pay dearly for it. Thank you. We should thank our parents, by the way, for for doing that for us. So the Jews sitting there going, what advantage is it for me to grow up in church? Putting it in our terms. Paul says, much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the words of God. They they were given the words of God. Every writer of Scripture came from a Jew. They were Jewish. So they had revelation. Other people didn't. And then Paul's going to assume they're going to ask a question. Well, if you're saying that God is going to be righteous, even if we're unrighteous, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? 
And Paul says, absolutely not. We're going to get to this, by the way, in chapter 9, but just hold on to that. By no means let God be true, though every man were a liar, as it is written that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Paul here is pulling from the Old Testament to show the Jew that God is going to be righteous even if man who receives all this truth can't live up to it. So he writes, If our unrighteousness, uh, if, if Jewish, let me read it that way, if Jewish unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, well, isn't that a good thing? Paul's supposing they're going to say this, you know. If me living unrighteously brings this righteousness from God, isn't that good? And what does Paul say? Uh, what, what should we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? Paul here says, I'm speaking in a human way here, reasoning with their question. Absolutely not. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, this is him speaking again, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a Jew sinner? And, and why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously, Paul says, charge us with, us with saying. And by the way, sometimes people charge people like me saying free grace. You know, I believe that if a person realizes they're a sinner in need of the, of the gospel and they believe on Jesus for eternal life, they get eternal life. That moment... And it's not dependent upon what they do the rest of their life. It's not performance after that. So you can be saved and not finish well. There are a lot of people who are believers who don't live like it. And God will take care of that, by the way, because He doesn't show partiality. He's not going to cast them into hell. But believers that live that way will have no reward. An unbeliever is another story. But... Here this reasoning is going back and forth in Paul's mind to the reader. And the reader would say, well, you know, if me living unrighteously, unrighteously brings God's blessing, then I should just live unrighteously. And Paul says, you're crazy. I mean, that makes no sense. And listen to what they go on and say, why not do evil that good may come? And Paul says, as some people slanderously charge us with saying, See, Paul was made fun of, by the way, with his gospel of grace, too. He says, their condemnation is just. This is what Paul does with people to accuse him. Talk to the hand. You ever had anybody do that? Talk to the hand. Okay, that's what he says. What then? Are we Jews any better off? Remember what he asked in verse 1? No, not at all. I mean, in reality, no, you're not. For we've already charged that all Jews and Greeks are under sin. And now Paul's going to pull in some Old Testament here. Listen to this. He strings a litany together and he starts with the head, all right, and he goes all the way down the human body to the feet. Listen to what he does. He just strings them in here. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their, their mouth and their tongue for deceit. This is not nice, is it? The venom of asps is under their lips. That's, that's a snake. Y'all ever met a snake? I mean a person that has venom under their tongue. I've worked with a few. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they haven't known. And there's no fear of God before their eyes. I mean, boy, I'm, I'm, what a picture. You know, I read this week where one man said, he was in India and they were reading the book of Romans and this man said, the Apostle Paul sure knew India. And the other man corrected him and said, no, Paul's God knew humanity. 
It's not just an India problem. It's a humanity problem. Because folks, this, this is who we are. Can I, can I tell you that this morning? You say, well, that, that's offensive. Good. Let me offend you. I mean, you have to have, you have to be offended. You have to realize who you are before you realize that you need God. And, you know, if a person wants to say, well, I don't need God, I'm going to, you know what? That's dangerous because Paul says, you know what? You do that. God, God is a gentleman. He's not going to beat you over the head. He'll just let you go on and he'll give you over to that mindset. And eventually you'll just like walking out of a doctor's office, you'll go on and say, well, I'm fine. I don't need God. How many people have you ever heard say that? I had one just recently tell me, I don't need your God. And I said, remember those words. You remember those words. Because yes, you do. Paul says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth, literally in Greek, every mouth may be shut up. You know, parents always tell their kids, don't ever say shut up. Paul said shut up. Every mouth will be shut up. You know, when man stands to argue with God on the day of judgment, his mouth will be shut. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, when I stand before God, I'll tell him how I feel and I'll, I'll explain why I did this. Paul said, no, you won't. No, you won't. Every mouth will be shut. And the whole world will be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law... Listen to this carefully. No human being will be justified in his sight. To the Jew earlier who said, well, I'll just keep the law like the rich young ruler, Paul says, no, you won't. No, you won't. You remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the, keep the Ten Commandments. What did he say? I've kept them all. And what did Jesus tell him? He, he was rich. What did Jesus tell him? Sell what you have, give it to the poor, come back and talk to me. And it says he went away sad because he had great riches. Jesus actually showed him that he had broke the law and he didn't want to see it because he had a, a problem, didn't he? But he didn't want to see greed, covetousness, and so forth. Idolatry, by the way. I could add all kinds. Having another God before him. Now he'd, he'd broke a list, but he, he couldn't see it. So Paul here says, they'll all be held accountable for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Now Paul's going to address this in chapter 7. He said, you know, when he found out the law, he thought he was great, and he thought, well, I'll keep it. He tries to do it, and what happens? Something inside of him wants to do the opposite. You know, Christian, we're in good company. I want to live righteously, and immediately a wicked thought comes in your mind. I mean, we're something else, aren't we? We are a work, by the way. Now, here are four quick truths about God's wrath. Truth number one comes from chapter one. God gave them over three times, verse 24, 26, and 28. The greatest judgment God can inflict on humanity is allowing them to have their own way. Please hear me for a minute. The greatest judgment God can ever give is to let people have their own way that's contrary to Him and enjoy it. You know, our culture, our society here, and by the way, let me just say this because I feel like I need to say it as a believer. Please don't go out with a flamethrower with people who live like this and just blast. Please. Now, I realize that there are, there are zealots on, on both sides. You know, there are some people who are very just arrogant and they march down and they want to ram this down your throat. You, know, you probably have no inroad to them. However, there are other people who have had things happen in their life that have caused them not to trust uh, whether it be men whether it be women. Sometimes there are some underlying issues, and I want you to hear me for a moment. These people are seeking. They know something is not right. 
May the Christian be the voice of compassion and truth and reason that can graciously and kindly and with love show them how to find fulfillment and truth in God's Word. Now, now hear me for a moment as a Christian. God doesn't want you taking a sledgehammer to somebody's heart like that and just pounding them over the head. God doesn't do that. The only time God does that is to religious, self-righteous people. Seekers, sinners, that's who Jesus came to save, by the way. And how else are they going to hear the message if it's not from a compassionate Christian who has a heart for them? You have to know how to answer them, by the way. And you have to know how to do it with gentleness and patience. Paul tells Timothy in uh, 2 Timothy that he is to be kind. He is to be compassionate. He is to be a servant of God, serving in such a way that this person will be delivered from the snare of the enemy. You will never win an argument by being argumentative. But you will by being gracious kind and compassionate and sticking with God's truth. It's not ours, it's His. But we live in a culture that's celebrating its own unrighteousness. And, and we, by the way, when we don't endorse or embrace that, what, what happens? We will receive some wrath from it. Okay, just go ahead and accept that. We're going to receive it. Trinity may eventually be marked a red light church. If you don't know what I'm talking about, this big thing in the culture now, churches are being evaluated on how we stand on issues like this. A red light is they're, they're haters. We're not haters. Please understand me. We welcome all people to come here. All. We want them to come. We feel like they need truth. However, we will share truth in love. And that is what God wants His people to do. So the greatest judgment is when God just says, you know what, America, you want that? You really want it? Okay, go ahead. Enjoy it. Truth number two, God's judgment is fair. Paul says in chapter 2, verse 2, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. His his judgment is fair. It is also righteous and accurate. Verse 6, I'm just going to read it real quick. He will render to each one according to his works. Nobody's getting by with a thing. God's judgment is righteous and accurate, and it's also impartial. Now listen to this one. I'm just going to read verse 11 for time. For God shows no partiality. Uh, when I was a police officer in Christiansburg, I used to go to the courtroom. I used to sit there and watch Lady Justice on the scales. Yeah, have you all ever paid attention to the Commonwealth of Virginia? It's got Lady Justice is standing there with scales, and she's blindfolded. Now, why is she blind? It's not because she can't see. But it's because it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or green or black or yellow or white or what you are. She can't see that. The only, only thing she's judging by in the balances is truth. And it's not about who she knows or whose family they grew up in or how much money they have or what this or that. She, she's judging by a standard of truth. And this is what Paul is saying, by the way. Why do you think Lady Justice is blind? Because the writers of law in towns and counties and states and nations got it from Scripture. They got it from text. She's, she's, and, and this is God, by the way. He will judge with no partiality. Now, by the way, even for the Christian who won't stand in condemnation before a great white throne, we as Christians should think about this too because, you know, and, and by the way, as, as a pastor and a preacher, you know what James says about teachers? You'll be judged with a stricter judgment. Ooh. Let me tell you, I mean, don't, don't think that, you know, we don't have to take this seriously, especially when you know who you are. Wow. It's like, God, I need your mercy. 
but God will be impartial. And, and He will not do anything that's wrong. Whatever we get, we will deserve. Whatever an, an unbeliever gets, that's what they will deserve. But nobody's getting by with a thing. Okay, so you've got to keep that. We, we talked this morning about living by faith. Remember Paul's, it's from faith to faith. I told you before, over and over again, it takes faith to trust God in an unrighteous world. Because sometimes we think people are getting by with things. Paul says, no, they're not. They are storing up wrath for the day of wrath. And Christian, you have to live by faith to believe that God's not going to let that slide. There is nothing going on in this nation or this White House or this Congress or any school board or anywhere else where wickedness is hidden and you know, all. No one's getting by with a thing. God is a righteous judge who is unpartial and He will judge. And if their sins are not forgiven, they're storing up wrath for the day of wrath. Okay, lesson number three, fourth truth. Neither human works nor law keeping will deliver a person from God's wrath because they can't be perfectly kept. You know, how can a person be delivered from God's wrath? Do you remember where we stopped in chapter 3, verse 20? Well, here's the good news. Read 321. I did not put it on the screen, but just turn there or listen to me. Remember what Paul said? The, the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven. Chapter 1, verse 18. Now he's going to pick up on that theme. Chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been made known apart from the Ten Commandments, apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, that is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Oh, I got one person here with me today. I, I was reading this through this week and I got through this. I mean, I read through it several times and I was like, this is so oppressive. I mean, I hate to preach stuff like this, to be honest with you. But I like it when I get to the good news. Paul here said the heathen's lost, the moral judge is lost, the Jew is lost, all humanity is lost because nobody can keep the law. But praise be to God, He offers us righteousness in a person and His name is Jesus. And the only way you can get it is to believe. Faith. And what Jesus did on the cross for your sin to give you a gift of eternal life. And by the way, if you want to read ahead, chapter 4 and 5, Paul says, I'm going to show you how that faith was given. It wasn't by works. Because all Abraham did was believe God and it was counted to him for righteousness. You have to believe it and accept it. It's a free, it's a free gift. You have to take it. And what happens when we receive this free gift? Here's even, this is even better news. Chapter 5. When we receive Jesus and His death on the cross for our sins and the gift of righteousness that He gives, then we are declared courtroom righteousness. We are declared as righteous as Jesus. By the way, how righteous do you have to be to get into heaven? Listen carefully to me. How righteous do you have to be to get in heaven? And I'm going to answer that. You have to be as righteous as Jesus Himself. And every person should be saying, well, boy, I'm in trouble. Well, if you've believed on Jesus for eternal life, no, you're not. You're not in trouble you're in God's grace. You are justified by Him. You have received His righteous declaration, which He says you must have, and He's given it to you as a gift. And let me tell you something. When you, you can have confidence living in this life, knowing that you put your faith in Jesus because Paul says, God has declared you righteous because He's given you His righteousness. I mean, let that, let that soak. Remember what Zach sang this morning and quoted? For he who knew no sin became sin for us 
so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. He took our sin. He gave us His righteousness. And we're righteous as Jesus is. Judicially standing. You, as a believer in Jesus, are as righteous as Jesus Himself. Why? Because He gave that to you. Believer, now smile. And now Paul is going to write, chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, how were you declared righteous? By faith that you put in Jesus. We have peace with God. You want peace with God? Believe in Jesus. Receive Him and the gift of eternal life. You can have peace with God. Read the text. Chapter 5, verse 1. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul lists a whole line of blessings there. Can I read them to you? We've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. A Christian can even rejoice when they suffer. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance, character, character, hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through His Spirit. And that's the strength and the power that's going to get a believer through this crazy life. The Spirit who has been given to us. The moment you're declared righteous, the Spirit comes and lives inside you. Empowers you, enables you, strengthens you. And then Paul says in Romans 8.1, Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Y'all see how many good sermons are coming? Listen to me. How many believers go, you know what I did this week? I, I'm such a, I, I'm scared of God. I'm, that's good. Don't ever lose that fear. Tell Him you sinned, ask Him to forgive you of your sin, but God doesn't want you living like a defeated person. He wants you to understand Yes, you're a sinner, but in my eyes you are righteous. And when you stand before me, there is no condemnation. God, because you believed in Jesus, God will not condemn you. Believer, hear this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Now, I'll deal with the rest of that verse later. Don't, don't fret. You walk in the flesh in this life, you're going to get in trouble. But there's no condemnation for you. So you live by the Spirit. You trust God. Believe in Jesus for eternal life. Submit yourself to Him. And by all means, be a gracious witness. And you know, every time I speak, I can't see people online. Sometimes we get messages from them. But here's my question. Have you trusted in God's righteousness provided for you in Jesus Christ. If you have not done that, do it today. Do it right now. This is what you do. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You just talk to God from your heart and say, Dear God, I have seen a picture this morning of humanity and what we look like before you. And even in my own heart, I know what I am. But thank you that you gave Jesus to die in my place, that you would give me a gift of His righteousness and add it to my account for forgiveness, to have no condemnation before you. I receive that gift of eternal life in Jesus. And I trust you and what you say in your word. So make me your child and bring me into your family. You know, if you will do that this morning, according to God's Word, He will save you. And I hope you do that. And if you have, if you did, reach out to us and let us know. We want to help you grow in your Christian faith. Father, thank You for Your Word this morning. It is truly a treasure. Thank You for the hope that we have in Jesus. 
even the hope we sang about this morning. Help us to live for You by faith, trusting You, clinging to You. And we thank You this morning for the righteousness of Jesus Christ that's given to us as a free gift. Thank You for it. Bless the people this week. Give them strength. Help them to be a witness for You. Keep them clean and pure as they live in this world and help them to be a shining light in a world that needs Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen.